0: That sound you're hearing is the dulcet tones <laughs> of the soon-to-be-released August Red record. It is. Last week, we said we would make an announcement this week, so here we are at this week. And so we are proud, at least I'm proud, I don't know if you you are. have an official date now you can drop? Uh, well, we're dropping June 4th, okay. unless something happens. So June 4th will be the full EP. It's a five-song EP, August Red. And we should probably explain how this is different than page 99. Yeah, because <laughs> it's a lot I, different. <laughs> it's a lot different. For one, I'm not in page 99, but right. I do get, for whatever reason, guilt by association. Not that I, I, you know, want to walk away from it. I'm kind of honored by the- uh, Backtracking away. Yeah. But um, just to be clear, I had nothing to do with it other than I listened to page 99. Mm-hmm. And what happened was, is one night I had a dream. And so you know you have a problem when you start dreaming in Yacht Rock. <laughs> the story's kind of funny, I think, so I'm <laughs> on a beach in my dream, and there's this dude that looks like a young skunk Bas- Baxter. Ooh. That's the Muppet-looking is this dude this from- while he was still a preppy guy? Right? No, 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 this is so when he's got, got the, the hair no. and the- Yeah, okay. and the full mustache, yeah, all right, all right. you know, the handlebar thing, and he's standing on a beach blanket, he's wearing cut-off jean shorts, Oof. and he's got like a little transistor radio sitting on the blanket, you know, yeah, and he's playing a yeah. tune. That's like, you know, Dad used to have one of those, yeah. and a professor from Gilgans Island. <laughs> Which is super Yachty Coconut juice or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So there's a song emanating from it and I'm walking by and I'm like in my like ethereal outside of the dream brain. I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a buried treasure. We had just started doing the podcast. Like, what song is that? And I start like trying to place it. It sounds like an old man, Joni tune. And I wake up from the dream and I'm, like what was that what song was that and i'm racking my brain and i finally realized it's not a song it's just something my brain just conjured mm-hmm. so i immediately grab my phone and i start singing into it i try to capture the melody and then i do more and more and more of it starts coming to me and then that morning i texted you and i right. said hey are you working on a yacht rock project this is before i even knew that page 99 was going to be a thing right and you're like yeah and i said well i, I dreamed a yacht rock song you might want to consider it for your record and you said well just send it to me and so I roughed out really bad demo uh, with an acoustic guitar. I had to learn the chords to my own song. I didn't yeah. even know what it was. And I sent it to you, and then you sent it back, and you yachtified it.
1: Yeah, and then that kind of started you down the road of saying, well, maybe I should do my own thing, right? Right. Well, I and I think
0: maybe you even suggested it. Like, why don't you mind your own business? It may have been what you well, said. Well, <laughs> I, pro- I
1: think I, at that point, I probably had all the songs figured out for the record. yes. Like, yes.
0: And you, yes, and you were having trouble just getting that completed, let alone adding another song to it. So, but yeah, then another song came to me and another song came to me. And so, but what's cool about what you did to the song and why you should take a lot of the credit or blame, whatever, is because I sent you something in rough, just standard chords and you started to apply some of that five over one theory. Yeah. And you remember what I called it at the time? No. We're going to get to that. Michael O'Marcian keyboard style. Nice segue. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, we sent it back. This is the last I'll say about it. So you sent it back to me, and I was like, oh, my God. This must have been how Kenny Loggins felt when he met Michael McDonald. (laughs) It's like, I sent you just a folksy tune, and it came back all yachty. So hopefully people will agree. The uh, uh, music video drops this week, so look for that on the interwebs. And uh, full album coming soon, or at least EP. Right. Anyhow, so we segue into... Michael O'Marshian, because today's episode is an album focus on Christopher Cross. Oh, yeah. I've been, I've been waiting to do this one. Yes, yeah, I'm surprised it took us this long, really. Well, we I mean,
1: the two we did first, you know, Asia and Total Four, I mean, are right there with it. So yeah, I don't know how to the, prioritize. Right. And we couldn't do one every week. So and now it's I, time. So uh, Christopher Cross' debut album, released in... In uh, Well, recorded in 1979, released in December of 79. So most people probably associate it with 1980. Hmm. Went five times platinum. Um, one of the notes I saw on it was that it was one of the earliest uh, digitally recorded records. I did oh, see that, yeah. yeah. I thought that I had read somewhere uh, that... George Benson's Gimme the Night was the actual first one released, which also would have been right around 1980. So obviously that's when that was all beginning. Um, the reason I mentioned Michael O'Martian, um, obviously he produced this record, yep. but um, when you look at some of the accolades that this album got, uh, the Grammys. So it, it was the 1981 Grammys, but that was for works done uh, through the bulk of 1980. Mm-hmm. Um. It won for Album of the Year, which goes to the producer. So that would have been Michael O'Martian. And I looked up what it was uh, up against. Ooh. So Sinatra had released this box set, this trilogy. I remember that box set. Yeah, that, that was, was huge. Big. The Wall, Pink Floyd. Ooh. And Glass Houses from Billy Joel. And yet this album won. And that, as I said, is an award that goes to the producer. He also won, uh, Christopher Cross said one won Best New Artist mm-hmm. that year. It won Record of the Year. Now, Record of the Year is for a sound recording. So they take into consideration the arrangement, the mix, the sound quality, all of that.
0: But for a song, not necessarily the album, I think. Correct. Right? For a yep. single
1: song, but it's the recording of said song. It had to be sailing. Um, yes, that would be for sailing. And that went up against uh, The Rose, if you remember that, Bette Midler. Oh, yeah. Woman in Love, Streisand and Gibb, which we've referenced before. Of course, New York, New York off of that box set from Sinatra. Mm-hmm. Kenny Rogers' Lady was in that mix, but uh, Sailing won Record of the Year. But it also won Song of the Year, which goes to song writer. It only takes into account the uh, words and melody of the song. And that beat out all the same uh, songs except for the uh, um, original theme for the movie Fame was another one. Hmm. It was in the in running for too. best song, but it beat all of them. So, and it also won a Grammy for best instrumental accompanying a vocalist, which is uh, an award for say the arrangement underneath uh, a vocal. So it really, it really swept the
0: Grammys. That
1: and that year. was probably Omarcia too, don't you think? Yeah, the vocal yeah. arrangements. Yeah. Well, it's not just vocal arrangements, but it's the whole the the band arrangement under a vocal.
0: Yeah, it's instrumental arrangement accompanying vocalists, yeah. I think is the... So yeah. when
1: you win record of the year, song of the year, and album of the year, that's considered the sweep of the big, you know, like yeah. in the Oscars, if you win, uh, what is it, best actor, best, best director,
0: picture. best picture, something like that, mm-hmm. but yeah. Uh, so, boy. Yeah. And Do you know how many times it went platinum? I have a five, five. with a question yeah. mark. Okay, Yeah, I, well, that was as of Wikipedia, so... Right, yep. What was interesting when I went back and re-listened to the album, well, a couple things. One is just how good it is. I confess that this is the first time I listened to it to like actually really study it. Mm-hmm. Sure, I had it on in the background and enjoyed it, but like to study it is yeah. a whole new experience. And then I was surprised, I guess, at how much of his canon that I really love is condensed into the first record. Whereas I I guess I would have assumed it was more spread out. I know you've got Arthur's theme is not on this. And what's the other one from... Think of Laura. Think of Laura, right. Um, the second one um, called Another Page is sonically
1: almost identical to this one. It's mm-hmm. after that that they start to change.
0: Did it, so Going back to Sailing, so is was, is Christopher Cross the composer of that? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: So got me wondering also what um, Michael O'Martian has done since because he, he's one of those producer names that I think is a big name in Yacht Rock, but he doesn't have this huge catalog. I know he was like a a staff producer at Warner, and so that's how he ended up, I'm assuming, working on this. Um, But since then, he and both he and his wife have gotten into the Christian music scene. That's mostly what uh, Michael Amartian's been doing since has like, been producing contemporary Christian music.
0: And recently, recently? Like yeah, he's still doing even, it now? Even, oh, cool.
1: even doing it now. And his wife is a big um, Stormy O'Martian who sings on one of the tunes. Yep. She's a big-time Christian author, which hmm. I had no idea. Uh, I found this note that um, she sold more than 28 million copies of her Christian-oriented books. Wow. She has one specifically called The Power of a Praying Wife that broke a 21-year-old industry record by claiming the top spot on the Christian Booksellers Association bestseller list and stayed there for 27 months, Jeez. selling 8 million copies. So this has obviously become the big uh, passion for their life.
0: Wow. Yeah. Had no idea. That's a lot of books. Yes, it is. The song, by the way, just going back to the second album, which was called what? Another Page. Another Page. Also had All Right on it, which yep. is another big hit. Yeah, So correct. Yeah. Um, I place that mentally in this record I don't know but so Well,
1: I, that's what I was saying they're sonically so similar.
0: They are. In that just that Michael O'Marty's style on All Right, it fits right in with this record Totally. Too. Yep.
1: It's another one of those 5 over 1y things. Mm-hmm. Uh Vinyl Me Please is one of those uh, subscription sites where you sign up and then they send you a vinyl record every month and you don't know what you're getting. It's one of those things. Oh, but like the... They, what was the thing back in the like day? Columbia House. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you get 19 stamps to put uh, on a thing, right? Yeah. For a penny. And then nobody ever pays for the right. records. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, but me, please, they have a uh, an associated blog... Mm-hmm. And I, think, I thought you'd get a kick out of this. So there's a writer there, Timothy Malcolm, and he had his list in 2017 of the uh, 10 best Yacht Rock albums, and this was on it, and mm-hmm. it's on most top 10s. It's gotta be. Yeah. But here's what I like, this quote. It's actually a sonic outlier for the Yacht Rock genre. Heavy on acoustic guitar and strings, mm. but its message fits the genre, a fool searching for inner peace. And yeah, that's undeniably smooth. Yeah. So this guy kind of gets it I <laughs> for sure.
0: Fun. Well, that's kind of we've talked about in the past about Christopher Cross. You know, he's on the one hand, he's an exemplar of the genre. You know, he's probably on everyone's Mount Rushmore or Yacht Rushmore. Right. But like, what's missing from his music, at least for me, is that like there's no halftime shuffle ever. No, right? there's no. It's not very groove oriented. That's it. There's a couple of things here and there. Heavy on the O'Martian bounce, which is yeah. akin to the Doobie bounce, I think. I would agree with that. Heavy on that. So Big I can time. see that. The just the kind of the fabric of this the sonic fabric, it fits right in, right? So they really clean, pristine recordings. For sure. Um me as a former bass player, one thing that stood out to me in listening to this record is how good the bass playing is. Never like over the top, like trying to steal the limelight, which you couldn't do on a Christopher Cross tune, I don't think. Right. But still, if you just focus, listen to the whole thing once, just listening to the bass and you're like, wow, tasty stuff. Well, I'm going to go
1: from the drummer's standpoint and also say the drumming on this is really standout. Um, I know that a uh, drummer on this album, Tommy Taylor, he is a member of our Yacht Rock group. So if anybody... uh knows him, and maybe, I don't know if he listens to us or not, but maybe he can chime in on some of the stuff, uh, some of the commentary. But uh, he plays some exceptional stuff on this, really clever stuff, particularly on the song Sailing, which is kind of a lazy ballad, but he does some really cool things. And throughout this record, I kept finding myself noticing really cool things that he did. Interesting that he wasn't in more uh, session calls, but I know he was the touring drummer, as well. Mm. So maybe, you know, that that was enough gig for him. And um, again, maybe you can chime in and tell us, but I found the drumming to be definitely worthy of note. If I, I didn't know better, I would have, and you just told me who's the drummer on that album, I probably would have guessed Steve Gad.
0: Yeah, you I would have too, maybe. Um, who would you have guessed or do you know who the bass player even was or bass players? Do you know off the top of your head? I uh, have it. I didn't know the
1: name off the top of my head. I didn't
0: recognize Sounds it. Efficient. Should I have? No, because I've never heard of him. Andy Salman. Sam, okay. I don't know yeah. how to say it. There's not even a link to him in Wikipedia, right. when he's listed. Going back to um, Sailing,
1: or just the, the comment about the fabric of this record, I, I still, we, we've kind of flirted around with this question. I am still not convinced, we, we've talked the whole Trojan horse concept, I am convinced that the song Sailing would not be a yacht rock song had it not been for the subject matter of it being about Sailing. Yeah. And we're told time and time again that that does not make a Yacht Rock song. But True. yet, it, I contend that
0: it did in this case, because I don't hear a whole lot else in that song. Do you think if that song were about something else and were not considered Yachty, do you think Christopher Cross would be as high as he is in the pecking order still? <laughs> Going back to the, it's not mm. groove oriented. I think he'd, he'd, he wouldn't disappear from the no. upper echelon,
1: but maybe knock down... uh from being a a semi-automatic on a Mount Rushmore, he might drop to that next level below that, like a Robbie Dupree area. I was going to say Robbie Dupree. Okay. Yeah,
0: exactly. Hmm. Well, going back to this one other thing that you started to touch upon <laughs> that we talked about in the past is, would this album be as yachty if it weren't for the Pink Flamingo on the cover? I know. And it was one of the few albums I've ever looked at, uh, like liner notes for, that the cover... Just the Flamingo concept was credited to somebody. No way. Jim Newhouse, yeah, I don't okay. know who that is. If he's <laughs> listening, good job, because he uh, went back to that well on the second album as well. The sonics of the
1: record are so good, though, uh, that, that I think that keeps it in. All of the stuff that you know we're bantering, uh, I guess you could somewhat throw by the wayside, because it is impeccably recorded and mixed, I, I, I feel.
0: I, I do, too. So produced by Michael O'Marchion. Do you know any of these other names? Michael Austin. No. He's assistant producer, engineer, and mixing by Chet Himes. No. Second engineer Stuart Gitlin.
1: No. I was looking at that yesterday, and none of those names jump out of me
0: either. What about the mastering, Bobby Hada?
1: Again, no. Interesting. Hard to believe. While we're on the topic, especially because it was a Warner thing, you know, Warner was one of the biggest players at
0: the time. Still is, for sure. Do you want to cover personnel when we get to track by track or just generally looking at this personnel, it is pretty yachty? Go ahead and do that,
1: and we might then reference back. But okay. you don't have to say song by song, but just kind of yeah. a list of who's on this. So,
0: you know, it starts right out with, again, not the obvious Michael Marcian, but Jay Graydon, yeah. Larry Carlton, a name I'm going to come back to. You mentioned Tommy Taylor on drums, but Lenny Castro, right, doing percussion. Victor Feldman on the vibes and percussion. Jim Horn sax. Jackie Kelso sax. Yeah. Uh, Chuck Finley on trumpet and flugelhorn. Uh, Nicolette Larson. Right. Put a pin in that. Michael McDonald. I'm sure people are familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Valerie Carter. Yeah. Um, Stormy O'Marshian, o- you mentioned. But then Don Henley and JD Souther. Appear, yeah, they appear on one track.
1: Yeah. Huh.
0: So that's some pretty yachty personnel. So now we're back well, those to the last two super guys. Yachty. Aren't yachty. What's that? Those last two guys aren't yachty. No. They get you in trouble. <laughs> I know. <laughs>
1: mm,
0: not me. I mean, both no, of those guys either. were on the uh, Dane Donahue record. Okay.
1: And, and if we're going to go there, I'm going to point out, everyone plug your ears if you're if you're afraid of this. Uh, he play, Christopher Cross is credited as playing acoustic guitar on every song but two. Ooh. Those are the two yachting ones. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah.
0: But I think the... Uh, the devil's advocate would say, but it's not guitar, I know. Who's guitar driven? Yes, yeah, you're exactly I right. I know, though. but I I like to needle. You know, it's well, fun. I think we should dive into the tracks. Track by track
1: is a good time to start.
0: <layouts Noel sprechen> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check.
1: Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of
0: America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile
1: banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank
0: of America NA, member FDSE. Speaking of good times to start, this album starts at a very weird place. I, it's one of the <laughs> notes I have. It's just like it fades in like mid-phrase. It doesn't it, fade. It in, feels like just, you're in the middle of a song. Yeah, yeah. So, play a little of that. Like, going back to before you play it, like, we've talked in the past about how these albums were put together track by track, very specifically and intentionally. How are we going to open the album? How are we going to close side A? How are we going to open side B? And how are we going to close the record at the end? <laughs> All of that's going to be thrown out the window when you hear this. Yeah.
1: I Thought that exactly too. I'm like, whoa, that's not exactly the most uh, ma- statement
0: driving way to open a record. No, it's, I don't even know if I'd open a song that way. But what's cool about it is that, like, about the eighth or tenth measure in, you feel like you're in the middle of a party because it picks up in the middle of something. Yeah.
1: And it is true that it hits you with a hook right out of the gate. So maybe that was part of the logic. It's like, well, let's, what song starts on the chorus? All right, hit
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. But in the, placement of all the tracks is kind of interesting, too, but that's a good jam. Like, it's one that I wasn't really that familiar with back in the day, um, but now gets getting it went into... went to number 20, so did really well, but not blockbuster well. Right. But if you're kind of immersing uh, yourself into Yacht Rock at all, you're going to discover this one pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, and they had the Nicolette Larson tie-in. I mean, her album only came out a year in advance of this, so I don't know. I, I, can't, I would have to take myself back in a time machine and see... How hot was she at the time that this album came out? Did that name recognition, was that also part of the reason they put it first? But I Mm. didn't find her performance in this to be all that special. It almost didn't feel like it even sonically fit, like it was recorded somewhere else and laid in or something. It doesn't match his vocal when I was listening. Because I listened once
0: on headphones, like, hmm, she sounds like she's in a different place. You know what? I noticed something about that vocal track on hers. I yeah. couldn't place it until you said it just then. Yeah. It was like in a different room in a different place, and they just flew it in mm-hmm. and said, Here, drop this down. Whoa. Say you'll be Say What does fit in nice though is
1: Jay Graydon's guitar solo. We brought that one up. That was one of our top tens. It sure was. In the the top 10 guitar yeah.
0: solos of all time. Yeah, that's just a ripper. Yeah, just the way it starts. He makes that statement right out of the gate. and Again, it feels like the song is intentionally put here, I guess, to like, let's just have a party right at the beginning. Because that guitar solo is the same way as the song opens. It's like, it comes out of nowhere and it, it does. does. It's yeah,
1: like, all right. Yeah.
0: Nice. Yeah.
1: yeah, it is a good opener in that regard, I guess. But it, just, it does just feel weird. Yep. You once don't. it gets going and you forget how you
0: got there, you're like, oh, this is all right. know exactly you gotta forget (laughs) it's almost like when you get to a party that's already raging and you walk in and at first it's really uncomfortable that first 30 seconds until you find someone to talk to you're like you see somebody you know and you go oh yeah hey man that's the best party you've ever (laughs) been to yeah got a couple drinks in you maybe (laughs) some pina coladas. all right well and then it segues to track two which is i really don't know anymore
1: Yeah, this one's a little bit different. It, ha- it follows a little bit of a different model. It's kind of like the verses are real minor, uh, mm. kind of a modal thing. Just sits on that um, that one minor chord for quite a while, and then suddenly when it gets to the chorus, it's boom—you're in major land, and all the tension is released. And you're like, ah.
0: you also get that natural release that comes when Michael McDonald's backups come in because it's so breathy and airy just by design. Yeah. And now you feel like, Oh, it's a wide open space. Um, <laughs> Speaking of wide open space. Yeah.
1: I know I was thinking of where I wanted to go next. Cause I had some notes and it, I didn't want to get there too fast, but, um, this was another solo that we had mentioned on our solos episode. This one being Larry Carlton this time. But, um, I also remember mentioning this song, um, in the um, Make the Case, where I was kind of explaining the five over one mm-hmm. thing. And this is the perfect example for Larry Carlton. Because when Larry Carlton enters on the solo with this high note here. Mm-hmm. So the chord underneath that is a G minor. And yet he's playing a solo in D minor. So if you go G, going up from there, A, B, C, D puts you D minor is the fifth above G minor. He's playing his entire solo as if he's in D minor, starting on an A. So on a G minor chord, that A would be uh, the ninth, which is a... Jazz tone, a tension tone, or a color tone. So he's not even starting the solo within the chord, but that's where that sound hmm. of Larry Carlton comes from. Yeah, so that, he plays very melodically up there, so he sounds melodic. You understand? It. It's not like some jazz guy going out, but it's just it has a different vibe than your typical
0: rock guitar player. It to me, it sounds like a rock solo, even though it's got some it jazz some sophistication it. in it. Yeah, yeah. It, and you said D minor, which of course is the saddest of all. It keys. is the saddest of all keys. Um so now we've got two uh, ripping guitar solos in song 1 which we say you'll be mine song 2 is I really don't know anymore. We also get uh, the introduction to the horns in this tune here. This Jim Horn, Jackie Kelso, yeah. Chuck Finley, mm-hmm. that grouping. Some good horn stuff in here as well. Very much. Yeah, yeah. I don't have notes
1: on that one in terms of it being a single, but I swear I remember it. It's got out be. there as a single.
0: So you mentioned last week that When they got to think of Laura on the next record, and that went to General Hospital, that whole bit. Yeah. um, Which put a pin in that. I got to come back to that. You said that that was going to be his fourth... It was at his fourth top top ten at that point. So three were off this record. This was not one of the top ten tunes? Well, let's see. There would have
1: been Sailing, there would have been Ride Like the Wind. um, Or was there another one off of that other album?
0: Mm, Could have been. Maybe that was All Right. All Right, yeah. Okay. I'm surprised, though, because this song, when I... Heard it the first time, like within the last five years. Rediscovering Yacht Rock, I, I remembered it like it was yesterday. Same. So, hmm, it'd be interesting to see how high that charted. Well, you ready to move out to track three, spinning?
1: I think uh, because this one is, to me, in a lot of ways, this one has some yacht cred to it. Well, the in the y- more traditional sense.
0: Well, yeah, I think the intro sounds like it could be off a of Steely Dan album, like the very first intro part. Yeah. You no, know, there's all that like um, staccato bass motion. It's... Yep. And just the chords like, uh, the, you know, it's definitely a piano written chord. Just- yeah. Or- One of the things I wanted to say that I didn't want to get too far in because I might reference
1: back to it is every producer has their own sort of insignia of what they do or their own approach and... Um, uh, For me, Michael Lamartian's approach is a lot of layering. Like we notice the piano sounds are generally layered with multiple sounds. In a lot of times then he's also doubling that exact piano part with, say, an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar. So everything is layered all the time. That is big time with him. And so even in this case here, the bass is playing that figure, but it's also being doubled by the left hand of the piano. Mm -hmm. So everything has its layered aspect to it. But... That motion gives this uh, song some groove that I would say we don't find a lot in the rest of the album. I agree with that, for sure. Which makes sense for having Valerie Carter on it.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, this is the duet with Valerie Carter. Um, This, again, has Chuck Finley on flugelhorn. And then, I think the first time we hear Victor Feldman is on the song, he's playing vibes and percussion. Yeah. And I think her delivery is
1: excellent. I mean coming away having listened to this album three times in the last couple of days to prepare for this that song is the one that has really grown on me more than any of the others that would be the you know the most improved player on the team yeah kind of i think i agree. agree
0: with that i may have a, another potential candidate for that but i agree definitely it grew on me any more on that one because one song the next song never had to grow on me because it was so good from the get-go never be the same yeah This one just feels like it's got Michael or Marshy and fingerprints all over it. Just that big time. keyboard playing, and this is the one with Stormy doing backing vocals. Yep, and uh my favorite two parts. I don't want to steal any of your notes. But Go. One is the key change in the middle of the last verse because you got brought that, that note on that. That's really cool. On a different song, on verse three. All of a sudden, halfway through the verse, it modulates up. It, it totally takes it to the next level, I mean, metaphorically and literally. It's and really one of the cool. things
1: that we constantly are used to hearing is modulations
0: in the chorus, mm-hmm. you know, but in the middle of a verse. Like, mm. Well, usually, too, it's after, like, a couple of run-throughs of the chorus. Then it's like, all right, we're going to hit the fake Key change. Ah, yeah, yeah. One more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but what was it? Do you remember offhand what the other song was that you said that they modulate in the middle of a verse? Wasn't that um, one of the versions? It was when we were doing the Kenny Loggins,
1: Michael McDonald thing. Wasn't that in it the was. middle of... Uh, I got to try. It I was yes, yeah. Was. yeah. Yep. Good memory. Hmm. But I think it was the middle of a chorus. So
0: the middle of a chorus. But okay. yeah, but
1: still in the middle of something, as opposed to saying next chorus, let's take it up. You know, right. That's What yep. you'd be used to hearing. Uh, I love the uh, rhythmically. We got uh, Letty Castro. We said was a percussion on this, right? Uh, the yeah. um, the wood blocks on this. The reverb wood blocks. And Which is a really cool sound. (laughs) Yep, Uh, it's different, and it's probably something that's easily uh, satired, but it works
0: really well in this song. What do you think of Jay Graydon's lead in this one? So this, I feel like this is most of the song is kind of a light rocker, but good. And then he's got like this really singable guitar lead at the end. Yep, it goes to a key change just for the guitar solo. Yep.
1: My notes on that: I had that it was really a very melodic solo for Jay, so he probably really had this one figured out. And the way he kind of, I put downswells, which I know isn't a word, and but uh, at the end, as the band starts to mellow down for the third verse, the way he plays over the top of that and kind of recedes, mm-hmm. like the the water receding at the shoreline, it's really well conceived. Makes it yachty too. Makes it yachty. Went number one on the adult contemporary chart. Number fifteen on the U.S. singles chart. So again,
0: did very well. I feel like this is like the third. If I had to list the top three most popular songs, I don't know. Maybe all right, but I definitely "Sailing." then probably "Ride Like the Wind," which we're going to get to, and then I feel like I think this one comes next to me.
1: I mean, there's obviously uh, think of Laura and Arthur Seaman all that stuff, but for some reason. I don't. I don't know. Some of the some of the, his ballads start to uh, sort of meld together for me. Mm-hmm. They, they feel like a lot like "Sailing Again." Yeah, you know what I mean. Yep, exactly. Which I know. Boy, it sounds like I'm being harshly critical. But hey, what's your deal, dude? I don't know, man. Chill. I love this album. I can't. <laughs> I can't believe I'm finding negative things to say. Wait till I, we get to "Sailing."
0: I'm just going to have to plug my ears. Yeah. All right. Um, Anything else? You said you got a lot of notes on this one. You covered
1: most of them. Uh, I I wanted to hit on that key change for the guitar solo, and we did that. So, what do you think of the next track, Poor Shirley? Well, right out of the gate, it sounds like he's doing Eleanor Rigby uh, strings.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a nod there. Yeah, it's got to be. I didn't, You know what? That's great. I, I, that's another one of those things where I couldn't place it until you articulated it. That's exactly right. It was his most passionate vocal delivery, especially mm-hmm. as it gets to the end. He's really singing
1: the mood of this song, man. And uh, there, there, there's some pretty heavy lyrics in there. Yeah.
0: Um, and so it works with that, you know. My only major note on this was: is, that, to me, it definitely feels like a deep album cut. And I don't mean that in a bad way, because I like discovering those deep mm-hmm. album cuts. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, I put next to this... Buried treasure, and I, you know, it just feels like, oh my God, this is a song that should not have been hidden for so long. Yeah, it, as you spend some time with this, the the hook on it is
1: actually quite strong, mm-hmm. even though it's a very moody song and it's not really written like a a pop single. But man, the you do carry that hook with you a while.
0: Yeah. Save
1: good uh, good closer for the side going back um, to, going that. Back to yep. the vinyl so it closes thing better than it opens yeah because it's kind of moody and it um, it's certainly a good time to take a breath kind of fades away, flip the record mm-hmm. and then you start to hear this wind gradually growing from the distance
0: yes, which is a good segue from song last to song this is yeah. that Christopher cross played the guitar solo on Porsche Early. Yes, he did. Which I didn't know he was a guitar soloist. I didn't know he was an accomplished guitar soloist. I'm surprised he doesn't play more of them, but he has a oh. different style. But when For you sure. hear the guitar solo in Ride Like the Wind, yeah. uh, we'll get to that, but holy... Cr- I went back to that song, the whole time I'm thinking, all right, I wonder if that was Jay Graydon or was Larry Carlton. Right. It might be the best solo on the record. Ooh, interesting. Well, let's come back to that. Interesting. You, you were setting the tone with the wind blowing. Well, I, and, yeah, and yeah. it's
1: I love that synthesizer wind, <laughs> you know? It's just that white noise with the filter you're opening up. Yep. Oh, I just
0: got it. Ride like the wind. Yeah,
1: there you go. <laughs> there you go. It says in the... I was looking at the album jacket today, and... And this one, it says Ride Like the Wind and then has a little parentheses underneath that dedicated to Lowell George. Who's that? Lowell George is the leader of uh, Little Feet. Ooh, really? Yeah, and I had no idea that, huh. that how this song connects to Lowell George, but that's what it says in the album jacket. Uh, went to number two in, in the U.S. singles chart, and I had a note here, beware of the acoustic guitar. Uh-oh, heads
0: up. <laughs> I would say also beware of Michael McDonald, because he's back now on side two. No.
1: Yeah, singing back definitely. Yeah, in the um, I wonder if he he must be in that stack. Going back to the layering thing from Michael, uh, his style, the what I call the post chorus. So when they get into that do uh, do 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 do, mm-hmm. they've got horns layered in there, keyboards layered playing that, guitars playing that riff, the bass uh, strings. Uh, as I said, vocals. I got to think Michael McDonald's in that, but it's almost like like America did that a lot where they would have mm-hmm. the chorus and then the post chorus without a uh, lyric to it but this is bigger because you got the entire band and orchestration everything hitting this and it's solid man it, rocks. it is
0: and that's i think where it leads to the guitar solo right
1: yeah and it's interesting to un- to watch or listen to what uh, Tommy Taylor's doing underneath that with the particularly the kick drum it's just the whole thing the way it syncopates well let's play some highlight. of that yeah let's highlight play some of, of that record. and
0: then we'll play some of the guitar solos actually too so let it rip when- And then uh, let's listen to a little of this guitar solo. You tell me that this doesn't belong in the same category as the Graydon solo or the Carlton solo that we heard earlier. Yeah, I had a note just gritty was the word yeah. I put down for that. Yep. And it's funny because the song doesn't feel gritty until it gets to that point, but the segue is that little part that you mentioned where everyone's kind of churning out the same driving little syncopated beat. It, it doesn't feel like there's room for anything else, and then all of a sudden his
1: guitar has that edgier sound, and maybe because he plays it so much aggressively, it just it cuts through. You don't think there's space for it yet. Here it comes. Mm-hmm. Have you ever paid much attention to the lyrics? Uh, No. Well, apparently... Christopher Cross
0: was on acid when he wrote the lyrics.
1: I'm known for not listening to lyrics. I listen to the timbre of the voice and all that
0: stuff, but not necessarily the lyrics all the time. I've become that way, too. And now, like, my family's like, what do you mean you like that song? The lyrics are stupid. I'm like, I don't know what it's even about. Well, apparently, the song tells the story of a condemned criminal on the run to Mexico. And it's told from a first-person point of view, and it describes how an outlaw and convicted multiple murderer on the run from a death-by-hanging sentence has to ride like the wind to reach the border of Mexico, where presumably the posse in pursuit of him will not be able to reach him. That's what that's about. Not very Yachty.
1: No, but remember when we said that in the late 70s and early 80s, there was a lot of Western movies coming back out yeah.
0: again? So maybe he was watching some Westerns. Yeah, he says they were living in Houston at the time and on the way down to Austin to record the songs. And it was just a beautiful Texas day. I took acid, so I wrote the words on the way down from Houston to Austin. I don't know if he already had the song and then or mm. the song came later, whatever. But anyways... Never realized it was that deep. Hmm. A little dark. Maybe that's where the guitar solo came from. Yeah. Gritty. Sounds like it. It definitely gets mellower after that. And actually, it song does. Is, uh... And this is called the light is on. And this and is this... the one that has Southern Henley, right? So, yes, it yeah. is. Okay. Which is probably why it's my candidate for most improved. Uh, I had a feeling this might be the one. It grew yeah. on me in the way that Dane Donahue's stuff grew on me and grew on me and grew on yeah. me, and it became so infectious I couldn't get rid of it. It's got that the intro that I'm not even sure what all
1: the instruments are. It's another layering thing. It sounds like there's marimba, maybe a couple of guitars or whatever playing that figure. that becomes sort of the, the main rhythmic figure of this. But again, the layering makes it such that I'm not exactly sure what the individual instruments are, but the whole of it... Is you know it's the the case of the whole is greater than the sum of the
0: parts yeah yeah, absolutely I should confess if I haven't already that I do like the Eagles and I do like that sort of west coast twang so a little bit of that in this song that's probably why I like it Um, Larry Carlton's guitar solo is nice and the tone of his guitar is super nice in this one I had a note here that the solo leaves me wanting a Ah, little bit well go watch somewhere else then then And
1: it's possible because he's having to play over that one chord the whole time. Yep. And there's just not enough for him to sink his teeth into. That's from my perspective, not his. Well. It just feels like you want it to go and do more and like, well, how could he? The the canvas underneath him isn't changing at all.
0: That's true. And my note literally is... Nice one. So I'm not like raving about nice it. Nice one. And yeah, said, that sounds like a fine accolade there. <laughs> nice one, Kaba Nice tone. I think I was liking the tone even more uh, than the yeah. actual playing. But Generally, I thought- when you compliment a guitar player's tone, it's because you don't want to say anything about their playing. <laughs> That's why everyone loved my bass tone all the time. Right. Yeah. Bingo. Um, but the outdoor solo gets a little more interesting, I think. So I, I liked it. Uh, I gave it an eight. You could dance to it.
1: Hmm. It's
0: a little solid We're not bowl. grading things here, though. So What was that called? Dance fever? <sighs> yeah. All right, well, let's move on to the... the Trojan Horse of all Trojan Horses. Sailing. No, oh, you're kidding. just going to rip it, aren't I'm you? I'm kidding. And, of course, we're talking about
1: sailing, which yes. takes me away. Beautiful song, beautiful song. And for a mellow track, Tommy Taylor, again, does find some really cool ways, particularly like the Tom fills and stuff on the chorus, the way it works against the syncopation of the vocal. I don't know how that came about. I'd love to hear some commentary on that if you're listening or somebody can tell Tommy to listen. But I'd like to hear how that was uh, done. Maybe we'll talk to
0: him. Maybe he'll come on the show. Yeah. Ooh, well, maybe he will. The um, This was apparently the second single, so you didn't lead with this one. What did he lead with? Ride Like the Wind? Was I'm the first guessing. One? I just have a note that it was the second single. Yeah, I so. think Ride Like the Wind may have been the first one. But. What was interesting, though, if you listen to this song now, we've talked about how if you listen to Spotify, like the singles seem to be mastered differently or whatever. Yeah. But this yeah. song is clearly recorded differently. It stands out to me sonically like there was more polish, more care put into this than anything else on the record, I thought. And maybe it's because it's so orchestral. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the case a lot of times that
1: records are made where they've got their singles and they spend much more time on the mix mm-hmm. of those than they do the other tunes. And they, you know, they can't always predict which ones are actually going to be hits. But cause I'm reading uh, something we'll probably dial dial back to at another time. I'm reading the uh, Ted Templeman book right now, you know, producer of the Doobie Brothers and mm-hmm. uh, Michael McDonald and other stuff. But uh, he talked about that, that, you know, you you try to pick the single. And that gets you the extra juice in terms of time spent mixing. But that doesn't always play out. But. Yeah.
0: Well, Lukather was famous for being <laughs> He <laughs> said if the he wrong song. it as a single, it's a flop. And vice versa, too, because he thought Africa would be a flop. Right. Yep. Good point. So this song, just a note on what this is about, which I never knew either, was a buddy of his from high school, Al Glassic, Glasscock, something like that. Um, better be careful how I say that. So he's no an older buddy that used to take him sailing back in the day. So that's what he wrote it about. And apparently they'd kind of just gone separate ways. And then in 1995 on the Howard Stern show, I think he surprised the two of them and got them back together, reunited after 28 years. And so then they started yeah. going on sailing trips again. So well, that was kind of cool. Well, a real authority on
1: Yacht Rock, VH1,
0: <laughs> called uh, sailing
1: the most soft Soft rock song of all time. Soft-sational? Soft-sational. Hmm. Yeah. I, 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 that doesn't sound complimentary to me, but... But
0: it is soft rock for sure. Whether it's it yacht is. rock... It is, is. Different, but
1: it's... And whether it's soft-sational, I guess that <laughs> that needs uh, accreditation or whatever. That's
0: also something... Citation. Be careful how you say yeah. that, too. Well, anything else on this song? I mean, this song has been talked about and played to death, but it's, it's a gem. Yeah. It's a masterpiece. It's, it is. You know, all of that. Yep. Which leaves us then with the closing tune, which I start to hear a little more Steely Dan vibe again, and that's called Minstrel Gigolo.
1: Feels like the more artistic piece of the record. Like, it's last because... uh... It was probably one that artistically he really wanted to do, but it doesn't fit like it's like it could be a single or anything like that. It has a there's definitely a different structure to yep, this song. Totally. Um, so I think maybe that's where you get some of the Steely Dan thing. It's just exactly a little more of an artistic right. approach. Yep. Um, and who would have thought? And this ties back to Tommy Taylor as well. Eric Johnson is the lead guitar on this. And if you didn't know that, I don't know if you'd guess it, but once someone tells you mm-hmm. and you listen to you hear that tone, you're like, oh, yeah, obviously.
0: So how would you describe Eric Johnson to somebody who has no idea who you're talking about? Eric Johnson, um,
1: well, I would hopefully say uh, similar to a Joe Satriani, but yep. again, you still might not know who that is. So this would be uh, a soloist, a guitar soloist. Their primary records are of them as a lead guitarist, but not a
0: blues guitarist, more of what you would consider a traditional rock guitarist, but as the feature of the band. Yep. So he had a, what I place him mass, I think it was in the 90s, he had a huge hit called Cliffs of Dover. Cliffs
1: of Dover was the big
0: one. Yep, yep. And so that's, it was right around the time that Satriani was doing all his solo stuff too, which was kind of like a mm-hmm. David Sanborn, but instead of sax, it's guitar work. Yeah. And instead of jazz fusion, it's rock.
1: And the way it connects to Tommy Taylor is that the only note I can find about Tommy is that he was the studio drummer and touring drummer for Christopher Cross and... Eric Johnson? Eric Johnson. Oh, interesting. So whether they met during this record or if this record has anything to do with that happening but it yeah. would be uh something
0: else worth finding out. Well, I was just I mean if you know who Eric Johnson is, I was just shocked to see his name on this list for one. He had to be pretty young too at the time. Yeah, and I don't see how it fits in with this. And he's not a but, session guy that we ever really see again that I know. No. Someone could correct me if they want to yell at me on Facebook, but I don't remember him coming up that much so. No. Well, that's the record. Yeah. It, it is a masterpiece, and again, when you listen to it to study it, it's a totally different experience. Did you find that as well? Absolutely,
1: yeah, yeah. And I've listened to that record probably a lot more times than you have, mm-hmm. but not where I'm studying. It. This
0: will sound stupid, but I was surprised at just how much I liked the record. Yeah, as a whole unit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew I'd like it, but I mean, I really, really liked it. So, all right, well, that's it. We'll so, go to the second one. Another page is, I think, as good. I I just all have right. been going to the next yep. one. Yep. So I wanted to immerse myself in this one first. Well, speaking of going to the next one, that's our opportunity to take a segue to the lightning round. But before we do, two pieces of housekeeping. One is I said put a pin in something. Right. So last week, uh, we did an episode <laughs> as seen on TV, and we found ourselves down a general hospital rat hole. Uh huh. And we got ourselves out of it just in time to I'm retain not our- out. Oh, well, how did we stop where we were and not mention Noah Drake? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How did we? Who's Noah Drake? You ask. Rick Springfield. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh! How could we forget that? He came in at about eighty three ish, sort of like yeah, well, during right
1: around when Jesse's girl was hitting. I think maybe right
0: after that. Yeah. I mean, I know he's not super yachty, but he was relevant to the conversation. No, but he's got songs on the list. He's got what? What kind of fool am I? Is certified? And, and so is Don't Talk to Strangers. I think. Okay. At least on the list, it's close. If it's yeah. not over fifty, it's close. But yeah. Oh man, that's a glaring omission. <laughs> it is. Um, and then the second piece of business was. Our Make the Case. The first official submission. The uh, second one. We had the one on Facebook. Remember the guy in the Netherlands? Or was that Oh, yeah. Matt? He didn't submit it as a Make the Case. I turned it into that. This is the official uh, yes. first So submission. let's pull that up. So this is from our friend, listener Kyle, who sent us a song. Actually, it was so weird. You and I were just talking about the song. Yeah. Tell them what song it was, and then I'll get into the submission. And because we're talking about the song because we're talking about, is it Footloose? Soundtrack? Yeah, we were talking about Kenny Loggins and
1: the work that he did post-Yacht as kind of we were going back over our uh, Kenny versus uh, Michael McDonald thing, and someone made the case that I should have ignored all of the stuff that Kenny did afterwards, and I just made the case of that, that saying, well, to me, it makes the, the point that Kenny Loggins remained relevant and continued to evolve as an artist, and I think that just points to his artistry, that even as the pop music world was changing, he continued to find a way to stay relevant, whereas Michael McDonald kind of disappeared for a while, which led us to mentioning Footloose, which led me to saying, you know, there's another killer tune on the Footloose soundtrack. And what was that called? I can't remember the name right now. Heaven Helped the... <laughs> nope, I'm Free. And what's the parenthetical, though? Uh, shoot. This is going to add it together really well. <laughs> but it's like a I'm Free, Heaven Helped the something. Heaven Helps the Man. Yeah, so it was both. So it's called I'm Free, parenthetically, Heaven Helps the Man. So we'll play a little after he gets a chance to make his case. Or should we play before he makes his case? I'm going to play some, then we'll make the case. Here goes. All
0: right, this is not me making the case. This is listen to Kyle friend to the show and here's his case so he says he concedes it's not on the surface there's no halftime shuffle but the personnel and the smooth rocking firmly places it for him on the yacht the personnel i think is actually pretty good steve wood on acoustic piano nathan east on bass tristan bowden on drums who we'd like to also get on the show Mm -hmm. buzz fighting on guitar oh steve Lukather does the guitar solo and david fosters on synth
1: Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, looks pretty good mm-hmm,
0: on paper mm-hmm. So here's his case Aside from personnel He says Nathan East and Foster Drive this track on full speed Admiral Luke Thunders in with some Trashing solo harmonies I think it should have been Thrashing solo harmonies And Kenny's sweet rocker side Soars above and beyond the clouds On this smooth rocker It's from 1983 Captain Kenny Loggins I'm free Yeah he uh, what I know from
1: Kyle is he is unashamed about saying that he prefers the rockin' side of the boat and probably will concede that he goes well beyond the, uh, the generally accepted boundary yep. for what rockin' is, but that's that's his area. So yep. that is a rocker.
0: There's no question about yep. that. Very cool. Is it a yacht rocker? We leave that to the jury to decide. Right. Do you want to render a judgment? I don't think that would be fair, would it? That's no. What we do I here. think it's a fine case that he's made, though. Yes. Uh, I all think all it's awesome. well thought out, yep. for sure. Cool. All right. It's time for the lightning round. I will let you go first. How do you like them? Apples? Apples, yes. Well, mine's mine uh
1: appropriate, so you'll be proud of me. Mine's that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let him <laughs> rip. Of these days, we'll get it right. Okay. My float your boat question to you is, as we talked about Christopher Cross, uh, how long does Christopher Cross remain yachty? Because I've got a song from 1985, so officially outside the parameters. That's a great question. But tell me what you think about Christopher Cross's "Every Turn of the World." Never
0: Well, you know what's interesting about that song to me is you said that the it's another page is the next record, right? Mm -hmm. And this is off the one after that. Correct. This is, I think, starting to sound a little more synthy kind of produced. For sure. There were some songs on another page that sounded like they were the stepping stone to that. Okay. More embracing of the synth. That's, to me, when it starts to not be as yachty. I agree with that. This starts to feel
1: more like uh you know like michael simbello's maniac or something <laughs> yes, like that's that the song I'm talking you know about. it's got um he's still got all the melody and the vocal delivery that all that's there but as soon as you start dressing it up with you know these synth stabs and samples and more drum machiney bigger gated reverbs yeah yeah by 85 it it's that's why it is kind of funny how uh
0: there is somewhat of a magical thing that happened from 84 to 85 i know it's crazy and it was it, it came Technology-driven, though. I was going to say, it yeah. came to an abrupt halt when the technology came out. I mean, for better or for worse. Okay, no floats on that one. No floats. Um, how about, you know, DeBarge gets debated a little bit, mm-hmm. various songs. But where do you fall on this one? Is this one a float your boat? It's called I Like It.
1: My, my initial reaction is probably my long-term reaction. I think it's a yes for me in terms of it does float my boat. It feels yachty in the way that uh, Yacht Rock Miami feels yachty to me. I bet that's where I heard it. Probably is. Um, I like a lot of the DeBarge stuff for my
0: boat, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I do not actually. I like the DeBarge stuff a lot. Yeah. I don't like it for the boat, typically. I like the way this
1: one grooves underneath, the way that you know the bass line and the piano chords are being kind of, pumped out there in uh, in rhythmical fashion as opposed to just a generic bed track. It, it grooves a little bit. There's, They're hinting at a little shuffle in there, even mm-hmm. though it's not being overtly played by the drums. I, I'm a yes on
0: that. Yep. Well, whereas I am a definite no on Rhythm of the Night by DeBarge. I don't think I'm a yes on that either. I agree. I'm a maybe on Who's Holding Donna now, but Same. probably a no, even though I love that song. I am a yes on I Like It. So for you all the reasons agree you agree on said, all three of those. Then. Yep. But good find, so that was probably Yacht Rock Miami, so thank you once again for introducing us to some new smooth. You got some buried treasure there? I do. Um, I'm going to my lost love, Build a Bounty, ah. and the reason, again, this is, here's another segue from Yacht Rock Miami. I'm listening to Yacht Rock Miami one day, and I hear a familiar sounding song, and it's I look to see what it is. It's Frankie Valli. I'm like, Frankie oh. Valli? Do you know what song I'm talking about? Nope. So he did a version of a Bill of Bounty song the same year that Bill Aberdeen released it going back to that thing oh yeah and it was off the this night won't last forever album okay and it's called a tear can tell tell
1: on you just a word that a tear can tell can
0: tell on you so that is a buried treasure i would agree with that it's a great tune yep. um and i had to look to see who wrote it because now you know they're the same year. So right. Bill LaBounty did write it. So. Okay. Frankie Valli covered it right away. I just love that song. And it's on a buried treasure because This Night Won't Last Forever is not probably as popular to most He out-rockers. must have been submitting his songs every once in a while to other artists
1: or whatever because that's another time that we came across Bill Bounty wrote a song for somebody who was on someone else's album. It, 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 it eludes me right now. But well, that's a second this, time this Night Won't that's Last Forever, across. is it, or no?
0: No, it was one that... Uh, anyway, yeah. you're right, though. He gets covered a lot, but... Yeah, that it wasn't a, a cover that I'm talking about. Super-duper jam on that one. What do you got?
1: Well, this is one that I know the hardcore, longtime yacht rockers know. As, but as a buried treasure for people that are semi to completely new, I found this one because I didn't realize that it was produced by Michael Amartian. I went looking for other stuff that he produced maybe as a way to tie in. I did not know he produced this. In, in some ways, it sounds like it could be him. In some ways, it doesn't. But... It's this is an undeniable buried treasure that uh, Roger Voduris, get used to it.
0: Try to think of a song. A song. I think it sounds like a Robbie Dupree song. Um, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Back to him. But yeah, that's a good tune, and I did not have that in my playlist, so I'm going to add that. Fix I, it buried treasure i am going to well you want to go off the map first sure i
1: have one more uh michael O'Martian produced song this is definitely not a yacht song so save the slings and save the arrows but uh it was uh as i said produced by michael amartian it's 1986 so outside the time frame it did go number one and it was written by bobby caldwell and a guy named Paul Gordon, who I don't know much about, but Bobby Caldwell, yeah. certainly Yachty Cred. Mm-hmm. And this is that duet that uh, Pete Cetera and Amy Grant did called The Next Time I Fall.
0: Big swoony ballad there. Big swoony ballad. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, that's uh, off the map, but it's a good tune. Yeah. Yeah, why for sure. Not? And so O'Mersian produced that as well? Yes, he did. So he did produce a little more than we may have thought. I think I've me. covered it all, though. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay, that's it. <laughs> Most of it. So he didn't produce the subsequent Christopher Cross records. He did the second one. He did And he may one. have done the third one, okay. but I'm saying outside of gotcha. Christopher Cross. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, those two are two peas in a pod, so I'm glad they found each other. Yes. They're a good fit for each other. All right, I'm going to wind up here with um, going back to the opening announcement, which was the August Red um, announcement. I wanted to thank Captain Hugh over at Yacht Rocket Radio because last week he played it all Tuesday, every two hours. And to thank him, I'm actually going to use one of his suggestions for the Off the Map which I think he tagged us a long time ago on Facebook. And he suggested this song, which is by a r and artist, modern r and artist called Chem. See if you hear any yachtiness to this. It's pretty far off the map, but see if there's any yachtiness in Lie to Me. Hey, girl. It's a matter of fact. I think that you amazingly fit the fundamental parts of me. And, girl.
1: I think we're starting to hear some of those textures show up in some of the modern music again. You're right. I wouldn't call that modern yacht either. But it does sound like if you were to take a yacht track and sample it and build a new
0: groove against it, you might
1: end up somewhere there. So I I can hear some of that. You got
0: a nice groove. You got the plucky guitars, palm mutes. uh, They had some horns, but yes. Yeah, a little more R&B, jazzy kind of horns. Well, Bruno Mars' new project is kind of considered yachty. Yeah, that's didn't you do that tune with Anderson Pack? Correct. And that's uh, one that I'm kind of referencing in my head. Exactly. But yeah, more and more. And of course, you know, things like Young Gun, Silver Fox, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. There's all kinds of it. So, And of course, there's Page 99. Mm -hmm. And And August August Red. Red. Cool. Well, that wraps up today's uh, Christopher Cross album, folks. I'm glad we did that because I'm glad it forced me into just really listening to that record. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very nautical record, very nautical theme, very nautical cover. How about a very nautical ending? Ahoy, polloi.